Connect Red are a Midlands-based telecommunications company with branches in Cannock, Derby and Burton-on-Trent in partnership with Vodafone UK. Our shops are currently closed due to the pandemic, but we are here to help in any way we possibly can. Get in touch with us for any of your tech and communication needs, consumer or business, and we can tailor individual packages and cater for multi-bundle deals too. Visit us at connectred.co.uk. That's C-O-N-N-E-K-T-R-E-D and drop us a message. Welcome to the Talk Derby to Me podcast. I'm Blake Fallows on East Midlands Derby Day. It's the big one tonight. It's Derby against Forest. So I've kind of said this one. I recorded this one two weeks ago to the day with, with Jake Buxton. Um, before we get into it and talk about what he says and stuff like that, it wasn't the, the world's greatest signal. We had to re-record a little bit um, with him on Monday. Um, I've had to get Chris Coles, the master editor of audio to work his magic on a little bit so it is it is listenable there's the odd word that breaks up slightly but it's it's the times we're living in that we have to do these things on zoom and his signal wasn't the best so we've we've worked our magic on it but if it's the odd word just bear with us because we've worked hard on it thank you to chris for helping because he's he really did help as ever thank you to to everyone who's who sponsored us it keeps us going, um, and we appreciate the local support for a local podcast. That's basically what they're doing there. They're probably not gaining a, a great deal from it, um, but they're helping us out. So go and like them on their social media pages and go and support them and go and like their stuff and social media. And do you know what I mean? Just go and support them in any way you can. Um, SMJ Brady, Elite Football Development, run by Benny Osborne. Jack Andrews, EliteFootballDevelopment.co.uk, coming soon to Derby, and obviously Connect Red, um, Dan Atwell, who continuously supports us. He's actually got us a Louis Knight hanger shirt to uh, to hang up at Talk Derby to Me Towers. It's uh, under construction at the minute. Talk Derby to Me Towers um, is <laughs> trying to make my, <laughs> my bedroom look a little bit more appealing for when I put these videos up, so hanging a few bits and bobs up. So thank you to SMJ Brady, Elite Football Development and Connect Red. Let's get into it. He's a legend. He's a court hero. He's one of the nicest blokes I've ever met. And he's got a really interesting story. Here's Jake Buxton. into a little introduction I've never had a reaction like I've had for for someone coming on the podcast genuinely I put out that when you agreed to do it and and you said you'd do it the reaction was absolutely mental nearly a thousand likes I got on on Twitter for people wanting to hear your your story so this is incredible I appreciate your time how are you at the minute Uh, I'm good thank you Blake Um, thank you for giving me the chance and the offer and the invitation to to um, to join you yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to what you've got to ask. <laughs> it's going to be interesting now. I think they've got some, there's some brilliant, it's a brilliant story. So we'll start off 
uh, about what you, what you're up to now. Obviously, start from the beginning. You was at Burton Albion this season, and and that came to a an unfortunate end. Can you talk us through what kind of happened there and how you got the job and and how unfortunately it ended? So obviously, back end of last season, obviously with the pandemic and with, with COVID, um, Nigel Clough decided to to step away from Burton Albion and he put a proposal together to to the chairman Ben Robinson and Burton Albion and he thought it was a good idea that I'd, I'd take take the reins and take control of, of the football inside and be, be player manager. And sadly it weren't to be. Probably didn't when when we got when we played well we we drew and we didn't pick up enough wins. Um, not for lack of trying or lack of effort um, from the players or anybody who was involved with myself or the football club. Um, it was just the fact that when we played well we didn't win, we drew. And it was disappointing for me to, to lose my job. But at the end of the day, if you don't win enough football games as a manager, that's the industry I've, I've put myself into. And like I say, we didn't win enough games and I lost my job. But loved every minute of it. Very, very honoured to be a player for Burton Albion and, and to captain Burton and then also to, to play and manage. Um, and like I say, I loved every minute of it and I wasn't changing any, any of my time at Burton. Has it? Deterred you from a, a further career in management, the, your initial experience of doing it? Obviously, it, it came maybe sooner than you thought it may do, but um, has it deterred you from going into that again, do you think? Like I say, I loved every minute of it. Um, I'd love the opportunity again to, to manage at first team level, um, but these areas which I need to improve on, the day-to-day management of, of the football club and putting the football club before myself and the small bits of details within training and Tactically, I need to improve on. I weren't quite ready for, um, so that's an area to improve on and um, try and surround myself with the, the correct show then when I need to lean on and, and to have them conversations with senior members of, of staff. I can have that conversation. Is there still a chance you could get the boots back out, maybe, if that if that opportunity arose? Um, well, I've been joining a little bit within the um, academy at Derby with the, with the uh, under-23s and, and with the 18s and uh, the young boys, the whippersnappers, they're a little bit too quick. So um, I don't think anytime soon I'll be I'll be putting the boots back on and, and going into full-time playing, but you never know. Um, so we'll see. Let's see what, what the future brings. So take us, take us right back, Jake. We always start on, on this podcast from the very beginning. What are your earliest memories of, of football and getting involved in the game and and, and getting taking your first steps on that ladder? I was I was lucky enough that my my parents were willing to get involved with um with running a um a youth team or a or a, a kids team at the time, Sutton St. Joseph's we were called. Um I obviously played for my district and for my county. And then, yeah, we, I played for that team. All my mates around me was going off to get trials for professional football clubs. And I, uh, I I never got that call. I never got that call to go, to go on trial. And then I got to, to late on the 14s and I'd obviously, I'd, I'd outgrowed uh, my dad's team at the time. And um, my, my dad gave Mansell Town a call uh, to see if it, if it was okay if I went on trial. I went on trial to Mansell Town and then ended up getting getting taken on by their centre of excellence at the time, at, at, at just before I was 15. Yeah, got into the, the time where you're going to have to get taken on for your, your YTS at, the t- at, at that time was to 
you had to go YTS and I wasn't I wasn't offered the contr- I wasn't offered the YTS. So there was seven lads offered and I wasn't one of them. That was also a difficult period. Um, I got offered to, to stay on at school and play for the youth team, but there was no scholarship or to save for myself. So I ended up going through a Stag Supporters Association, it was called, um, and the supporters at Mansfield paid for me to do my, my YTS. So, yeah, I was the run to the litter. As they say, I was the last one, last one to get taken on. Um, and by default, I got taken on because the supporters paid for me. Six months later, I found myself in the first team at Mansfield, um, which was just just all about the knockbacks and trying to prove people wrong. Does it give you a, a bit of an edge? As a, I know it's obviously difficult when you first start to to go through those those steps, but like you say, the the determination to prove people wrong and things like that. Does it stand you in good stead at that age that you you have to go on and you have to maybe work a little bit harder, but it gives you a good grounding. My dad was always tough for me when I was a young lad growing up. So when playing mm-hmm. uh, for his team, it was, yeah, we'd, we'd win and I'd score a goal, or a couple of goals and I'd, I'd know I'd done okay. And I'd be getting out of the car, crying after games, thinking he's battered me again. But yeah, the grounding in my parents has been crucial. Like I said, I've said many a times, my dad being a minor, um, and my mum being a cleaner at, at the school at the time. Yeah, the, my parents have been unbelievable for myself and my brother. I can remember going to a lot of the Derby County games. Obviously, I saw most of the games you played for Derby County and your mum and dad were always uh, following you around as well. So you can see that support just as a Derby fan in the away end and at home games. They were everywhere with Jed as well, uh, supporting you everywhere you go. So you can see, yeah, I always saw that support as well. Is that important to you? Yeah, it was obviously massive because... You have knockbacks throughout your career, um, and I got quite a lot early on. Uh, probably the toughest moment is when I needed my parents and and and, and my wife as well. When we got relegated at Mansfield, uh, I was I was club captain at Mansfield Town, uh, my hometown club. Very proud. My parents were proud. I lived in the area. Went out drinking in the area. Um, and we got relegated from the Football League. And obviously being captain, I, I took that to heart. Yeah, it was tough at the time. Um, obviously, my dad going to work and my mum and dad, mum going to work. And obviously in getting involved with the conversations. They're falling out with people uh, over it. And I think that was probably the toughest moment. Getting released from Mansfield at the time. Being unemployed. Um, just got relegated. Believing I was worthy enough to be at a professional football club. Um, and found myself out of work. And that was probably the toughest moment in, in my in my career. And I had an opportunity where you dust yourself down and go again, or you, you accept that it might be time for you to, to take on a trade or to go and get an, a, a job with your mates. How how close were you to maybe doing that before Burton Albion come in? Did it cross your mind to maybe have to go and get a trade or move away from football? Before I signed for Burton, I went on trial to crew and it was, it was Steve Holland at the time who went on to be academy manager at Stoke and, and assistant manager at Chelsea and assistant manager for England as well. Um, and he, he told me I weren't, I weren't up to the level at Crew. So I, I did two weeks at Crew on trial, um, got released last week of pre-season in the professional league in, in League Two. Um, found myself driving back from Crew, head in my hands, ringing my mum, saying they've not taken me on. And that was probably the time where I did think, right, well, 
is my mum right? Do I need to get to, to college and, and learn a trade and become a plumber or or um, a chippy? Yeah, I always remember saying no. I got I got a phone call from from Nigel. I was in the bath at the time, and I, I always remember the phone ringing, and my wife running running in with the phone and saying, um, "It's Nigel Clough." She'd answered it. It's Nigel Clough, and I obviously I stood up in the bath, um, and he said, "Will I come down and play a game for for Burton against Chesterfield?" Their last pre-season friendly before the season started the following week, and then yeah, the rest is history. I went down, went down to Burton and played that game, and then uh, found myself really enjoying having a really good season and enjoying myself. It's yeah, it's the first instance, uh, instance of you coming across Nigel Clough. How how important has has Nigel been as a, an influence on your career and both playing and, and and managing? We've had quite a few of the the lads that you played with on um, Will Hughes, Craig Bryson, Jamie Ward, who just texted me to tell you some stuff later on in the podcast. But they all really loved Clough and the, he really brought them on and he's a massive influence on them. You seem to be the the player that maybe Clough had the most influence on. Does that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think not many managers of, of, in today's game would have took somebody from non-league at the time to the championship. So for him to an opportunity to play championship football at that time was was massive. Um, he obviously saw something in me, uh, which he saw worthy of, of an opportunity. Um, I got that phone call from him again, um, saying that would I be interested in joining Derby County. And it was an amazing phone call. Um, and I can always remember taking my wife before we had kids. It was dark and we and we had a drive round to Pride Park and my missus had never seen we'd never seen a stadium like it at the time. And yeah, it was another I'm saying, well, I'm gonna play there next year. Yeah, it was amazing. Amazing getting that phone call from Nigel and then an opportunity to play for Derby County, which which was one I wasn't gonna let slip by. And Nigel's always spoken about, and people that I've interviewed that have played for him have always said he, he likes to not just sign like a player that he rates, but sign characters, people that are good around, they've got the right attitude. Do you think that helped you in being attracted to Nigel again when he came to Derby, that he wanted the right people around as well as having people he rates? What worked in probably in my favour is that they had the hangover of getting Derby, they had the hangover of getting relegated from the Premier League. Um, I think the wage bill was really, really high. He needed, he needed to change the mentality of the group and players were sat on two and three year contracts and maybe if Nigel had a lot more money to spend at the time, I probably wouldn't have got my opportunity but because a lot of money had been spent previously to Nigel joining Derby County, it meant likes of myself, Craig Bryson, who'd come down from Scotland, Craig Forsyth, Chris Martin, numerous amount of players what came on freeze or next to nothing. So, yeah, we all got his opportunity because of the amount of money which, which we could be spending at that moment in time. Did you have the opportunity to go anywhere else before you came to Derby? Because you had a good season the season before. Obviously, Burton had won the conference, player of the year, interest from other clubs. Did you? Was there a decision to make? Or as soon as Nigel made that call, was it always, that was it, you was coming to Derby? I, I'd not got an agent at the time. So, I'd had, I'd had phone calls regarding joining Charlton at, at that time, but it wasn't nailed on. But yeah, I always remember the phone call from Nigel and it was never a, what sort of money is it? What sort of length of contract is it? It was like, yeah, I'll come. And I signed the one-year contract, um, but it was an opportunity. Uh, I, I came in, he, he, he took me to the training ground, I took my dad with me and he said to me, you'll be sixth-choice centre-half. And I obviously started the first game of the season that, that season. Yeah, and an assist for Miles Addison's goal as well on your debut, wasn't it? 
yeah. So um, we had um, Dean Lee Cup, Claude Davis, uh, Martin Albrechtson. He just signed Sean Barker, which he came into the preseason a little bit later. Uh, myself and Miles, and I found myself playing the starting the season myself and Miles at, at, at home. Yeah, it was an amazing, amazing feeling. If you're going into a club and you think, oh, I'm fifth or sixth choice centre-back, how do you approach it? Do you just have to go in and just do your best each day in training and hope that your opportunity comes? I think I think Nigel knew me as a character and as a person straight away, which by saying that to myself, it just fueled the fire. I didn't know how to give in. So regardless of, of being told that, or at times throughout my career at Derby, when people told me I was done or it's time to move on or... Same as at Mansfield when I wasn't getting told to I was going to be a, a YTS. What did people don't realise? It was just fueling the fire and made me more determined to prove people wrong. It's yeah, it's incredible at, at that point. I think I've got some brilliant Jake Buxton memories from from that period. Could you pick a, a favourite a favourite Derby County memory early on? Um, the early part, I think that that the debut yeah at, at home was 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 Peterborough. Yeah, an unbelievable feeling. Red hot day, didn't expect to play. Came in. Nigel's very, very traditional with how he does his work. He doesn't name the team early. He names it as close as close to when the referees require the team sheets. He puts it up on the board on a basically on an a a free piece of paper. Um, I can always remember walking into the dressing rooms at Pride Park, looking up as you do to see, as I had done previously at Burton, look to see if your name's in the squad, and then to, to find my name on the on the team sheet was was amazing. So um, that was that was special, and also it was a full crowd, and I just I, I loved every minute of it. Well, I was going to say that because obviously you played professional football before and played in front of crowd, but thirty thousand at Pride Park is that a daunting prospect, or do you just have to take it in stride? What what your well what what I, I find is when I was at Mansfield and it was two and a half three thousand fans watching, you seem to hear. The voices and the, pick the faces out a little bit more. So when they're shouting Buxton, you're no good and you're rubbish, get yourself off. You seem to pick the faces out. And you think, yeah, I'll remember you when I see you downtown. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, when you see 32, 33,000 at Park, it's just a roar. It's, it's an unbelievable feeling when you're out there, especially towards when when I started to produce my best best part, my, my football under. In, in a Derby shirt, I, it was... Yeah, the feeling then of the supporters, they massively improved me as a player. That belief they gave me was was unbelievable. And my performances went from... I was always steady under Nigel for the previous two or three, four seasons beforehand. But yeah, that season we got to the playoffs, final under Steve McLaren, the support I got. And it probably changed. The, the goals I scored against local rivals was probably the tipping point in terms of um, the supporters believing in I want just non-league bucko I actually was worthy of a shirt in the championship I've always said I'm a slow burner and I think they, they realised that I give everything I could give every time I went out onto the pitch The thing with Derby fans is this is what I've always found anyway that Derby fans love somebody who gives 100% and you became very quickly a, a, a hero to Derby fans was it I don't know I don't know how to like, word it in the right way was it strange to have like Go from like you at one point you're probably making plans for being outside of football to then go to playing championship football and you're a, a fan's hero, one of the most popular players. Or did you always believe that may happen? 
my other time at Mansfield, I was I was well liked and I was a local lad. I had the same connection at Mansfield, determined on how your team does and the results and the position you find yourself in the in the table. Um, supporters get upset if you're fighting relegation. Supporters are always going to get upset, and at that time, my head was on the block. And at Mansfield, I, I did I did fall out with with some supporters because I was captain, inexperienced. And uh, I probably voiced my opinion too much at the time. I was when I went to Burton. Burton took to me straight away. The performances and uh, the position we found ourselves in the table. The supporters took to me straight away. And at Derby, it took a little bit of time. We were fighting relegation at the doors in Nigel's first couple of seasons. Um, it was a transitional period, so it was it was tough for the supporters to accept the position we were as a club, and also that. I was probably not as glamorous as what what supporters would have liked at that moment in time, but like I say, I was I was a slow burner, and um, I gave everything while I was at the club. Sooner or later, the supporters would see that. Are you a teacher or teaching assistant? Are you looking for your next role within education? LTF Recruitment specialise in the long term and permanent for schools across the Midlands and London. We currently work with over 200 schools and have helped nearly 500 people into new roles. For more information, visit ltfrecruitment.co.uk. Hi, I'm Tim Lovejoy and this is my award-winning podcast, The Lovejoy Hour, sponsored by those kind people at Cooker. What's that? You love the podcast so much that two a week isn't enough and you want more. Well, you're in for a treat this week. I've got music boss Alan McGee. I don't think I've ever said that publicly. That's the f- I've said that privately to my pals. I'm the king of working with people that hate each other, do you know what I mean? I answer your life questions on this month's Midweek Mark. Mark is back. And on the A to Zidane of football, it's the letter L. Lee, the first and most important question is, do Premier League footballers eat Jaffa Cakes? I reckon some will, yes. Three podcasts in a week, and if you subscribe, they'll arrive straight to your phone or device. Love conversation, love learning, the Lovejoy Hour. Do you think it was, I think I know what you say to this, because I think the same, but do you think it was underrated what Nigel Clough did at that time? Because he got, he came in for a bit of stick when he he had a very difficult job to do, didn't he? And uh, Looking back now, 10, uh, 10 odd years later, I think Derby have got a lot to thank Nigel Clough for, and I don't think a lot of people quite appreciate the scale of what he had to do at that time. I think whatever whatever you do or whatever, whatever you do, until it's gone, you don't realise what you've got. Nigel put the club before, uh, you know what I mean? His best interest was always the club. Financially, he made sure that we were as stable as we could be at Derby County, and he put that first. Uh, many managers that have come in and wanted to spend and spend and spend to try and benefit their own success. And he, he, he stabilised the club and brought in players who were hungry, from who wanted a career at that level. Um, and at the time, it might have not looked glamorous at the time, bringing in players from Scotland or from non-league or from, from League Two. Uh, but a lot of them players he did bring in were very, very good for Derby County and probably performed over the last 10 years some of the best football and produced some of the probably the, the most liked by the supporters. Johnny Russell being one, Craig Bryson, Chris Martin, they're all... Chris Martin was taken from off the back of his his, his good warm-ups when he was substitution for, when he was substitute for Swindon. He, he warmed up that good. They signed him off the back of that. 
Paolo Di Canio weren't playing him at Swindon. Chrissy came and uh, he'd had a rough time at, at Norwich beforehand and we soon knew when he came in, we thought, wow, what a player this lad is. I don't want to offend you, Jake, but um, Chris Martin's my favourite Derby player of, of all time and I'm not exaggerating. I absolutely adore the bloke and he came in for a, a, quite a lot of unfair stick from Derby fans, I think, at times. But I think, again, underrated the, the amount of ability that that man's got into it. Well... Yeah, the nickname the wardrobe he was at the time that yeah he was so reliable that if we went into him it stuck he he was he was you know he, he was massive in how we played we had runners off him he complimented Craig Bryson a lot because a lot of balls went into to Chrissy from myself just a top lad mm. proper misread misread at times by people by a lot of people players misread him um, supporters did the media did uh, but I got on with Chrissy I really really liked him as a bloke. He was straight John Ball, told it, told it how it was. And we used to have to curb him for throwing his arms up and down at times. But um, <laughs> yeah, he was he was he's top lad, top player, and yeah, top professional. He's um it's no secret that he's my number one target for this podcast. We've had I've had loads of my heroes on and I spend half my life trying to get him. So one day hopefully he comes on, I can tell him how much I love him. But uh, there's there's nothing but love from the Talk Darvish podcast to Chris Martin. He's my he's my hero. You scored some important goals yourself uh, at that point, and you went for a bit of a run of scoring some some very important goals. First of all, the ninety fifth minute winner against Forest. There's nothing much better you can do than score a last minute header against Forest, is he? To to cement your place as a derby favourite. No, it's, it's quite quite strange, really, because um, we played Watford the week before. We got beat, and I obviously did a radio interview at the time on Radio Derby saying we'll beat Forest. And like you do, I come in to watch the look at the team sheet as I came in the in the dressing room and I weren't playing. Um, sad part of the evening was obviously Sean got injured at the time. Sean Barker got injured. I got the opportunity to come on the pitch late on. And I had a chance just before I scored, back stick. Um, obviously, Lee Camp made, made the save. The next, next uh, free kick, Ben Davis had got to put a ball in the box. And obviously, um, I just put my head in and uh, come off my eyebrow and went in. But at the, at the time, I didn't realise what I'd done. I didn't realise it. Not until Doncaster away the following week, I didn't realise. What made you realise? Was it the fans singing your name? Uh, coming out for the warm-up at Donny away. So, bearing in mind that I'd, I'd not had a, probably a song for me in terms of in a Derbyshire. I'd not, I'd not, not had a I had a chant or a song and I stepped out of the tunnel at the chemo to warm up and then, yeah, the, the, the fans had got there early and it, obviously the stadium erupted um, before the game and it blew me away and that's when my performances went from a, a six and a half, seven consistently every week to, to then I was starting to seven and a half, eights, even nines by the end of it. Incredible. And that's a, was it the Jake Buxton's a football genius that used to be sung week in, week out all over, all over the country? Yeah. I it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, unbelievable at the time for, for, to, to get a song. Um, and it's something as a, as a young lad, as a player growing up, yeah, it's something you'd love at the time, not, not only to make a professional footballer, but for a group of supporters to sing, sing your name. Um, it's an unbelievable feeling. Shortly afterwards, you scored two in one of the one of the most mental football matches I've ever been to in my life. The five-all draw against Scunthorpe. 
he scored two that day. There can't be mo- many more games that have been as <laughs> all over the shop as that day. Tell, tell us about that. Um, it was the it was the first time they brought the league cup before the start of the season. Yes, and um, and we we put the big scoreboard up in the uh, at Pride Park. It was the first time we'd had we'd had the massive TV scoreboard. So I always remember it because I came out of the tunnel, and for some reason this scoreboard had changed the whole concept of the ground it was it was it was crazy i'd never seen anything like it in my life so yeah we we started well we did okay i got a couple of headers michael jacobs put a decent ball in and a last one in um and we had a penalty and nigel was shining to the pitch for me to take it phil robinson was on penalties at the time um, and i allowed him to take it but yeah crazy game and then obviously we missed we missed Lost out on penalties. I, sc- I think I scored mine, but yeah, somebody didn't, and then that was it. Bit of a dry, a bit of a hairdryer moment in in the dressing room after from from Nigel. I think it was Tom Naylor who missed from memory, but that might be wrong. Is that a regret that he didn't take that penalty and get a, a get a hat trick for Derby County? Well, maybe. Yeah, we ever get the opportunity to to score a to, to get a hat trick? I said, well, I went on the sheet gaffer to say I was on penalties. So um, if I'd have took that penalty and missed it, the conversation would have been a lot different. Uh, off Nigel to say, who, who gives you a, a right to be taking penalties? You're not on them. Yeah, shame really because we 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 uh, we played well that day. It was just uh, Duffy came on for Scunthorpe and did well. My favourite Jake Buxton moment was Leeds away when we were one 0 down and one two one two late goals. That's got to be, that is honestly my uh, one of my best away games of all time. I, and it's not talked about as much as it should be. Um, but again, another, you made a bit of a habit of it, didn't you? Important late goals. Yeah. Um, I was picked up by Luke Varney, who obviously played for me this season on the day. So yeah, great ball in the box. Um, I think Coopsie, I think Coopsie, Paul Coops puts the ball in, I think, at the time. Score, run behind the back of the goal, get spat on by the Leeds fans, um, and then obviously celebrating in front of the supporters. And I'm obviously over the moon because of of what had happened previously to Nigel's dad at at Leeds, uh, and with Brian and lasting only 44 days or whatever it was at the time. So I'm over, obviously ecstatic, thinking, right, I'm going to go in the dressing room, and and Nigel's going to say, well done, and. Uh, he absolutely batters me. I've just scored away at Ellen Road last. Yeah, and he absolutely batters me. And he says, he says, we still had four minutes to go. And he says, you were flapping your arms around when you celebrated, and uh, you were bloody knackered for them four minutes. And last four minutes, you nearly cost us a goal. So lads are laughing, obviously. So, but yeah, unbelievable feeling again. To score, score away at Ellen Road, and uh, yeah, to celebrate with my teammates and also the supporters in front of the away, away supporters. When Nigel eventually leaves, um, does that hurt you? Is it do you at the time? Obviously, we had some success afterwards, and you still did well. But at that time, is that a tough, tough thing to take? Nigel being sat by the club. I think we had a we had a bad week. We all knew who, who, there was a lot of people who 
was not happy with the progress at the time, what Nigel was doing, but there was an awful amount of people who were and knew it was a, a something we were building with solid foundations to, to last. The club before, I think it was four and a half years into the process and they probably wanted it to be sped up a little bit quicker than what it was going at the time. Uh, but we had we had one bad week. We'd already beat Yeovil away, Millwall away in the league. We'd had positive results at home. I think the Sheffield Wednesday and, and I think it was Birmingham or maybe. But then we had a bad week. We lost to Burnley, Leicester in the cup. And then we obviously went to the city ground and, and we came off the pitch. I think it was a different feeling than before. We'd had bad spells before, losing to Scunthorpe at home, which, which was a tough to take at the time. But I think this one, it felt a little bit different. The Forest game did. And... Uh, we were disappointed as a group to lose the game, um, but I felt that yeah, the, the staff had felt a little bit different, and obviously the club decided to make a change. I was gutted, uh, truly gutted. Um, I didn't think it was right what had happened, and with me being, I believe, an honest lad and, and wearing my heart on my sleeve, I didn't know how to do anything else other than to show my disappointment for for losing a man and a manager who I've truly believed in. Um, so we played Ipswich at home. Darren Russell took the game with Pat Lyons, who prepared the group, as well as anybody at the time, to, to get a, a team ready to play Ipswich. And I went out onto the pitch, and it was the first time in my career I was soulless. I was on that pitch, and I did not give a toss. Um, I did not care at that time, because I was it was gut-wrenching. Nigel Clough to be sacked and I didn't care that the new manager was in the stand with his staff but like I did explain to Steve McLaren the following day if you've worked for somebody for five, six years you've given everything for them and the football club on a day-to-day basis um, you're going to have some sort of emotional feelings when you when when that man gets sacked but yeah it was that was a tough evening it's which at home I think ended 4-4 in the end, uh, that was yeah, it was a tough evening. I've spoken to Will because Will Hughes is a good mate of mine, and and at the time, obviously, I, as a fan at the time, you could tell that something wasn't right. That that, that to be four one down at half time. Uh, what's your recollection of of Simo and and Steve McLaren coming in at half time for that game? Uh, well, they, they came in the changing room, and I, and I I was I was delayed over. I didn't want didn't want to be out there on the pitch. I, I was I was not in a good a good place at the time. I had some discussion with Sam, and it weren't it weren't nice, but it, it was it was probably something what needed to be said at the time. Uh, and, I, and I got I got I got questioned uh, because at the time we had Jamie Hansen on the bench, Richard Keel was suspended, and I was playing with Zach Whitbread. And uh, the only other defensive cover on the bench was um, Jamie Hansen, so. I had a discussion with 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 Simo, and it was like a switch at half time. It was like a switch saying uh, some harsh words were said, and then I back out the second half and, and put a good performance on. But that first half really hurt me, and it took for me to probably have a yeah a dressing down and spoke to by Simo at the time, which I didn't like at the time. But Simo Simo's a good bloke. He's not a bad lad, Simo. In so at the time, I didn't like what he was saying, um, but it was a good. It was it, it, it. I reacted in the correct way. 
I, I can always remember driving home after the game so angry, so ridiculously angry to the to the degree that I was welling up, nearly 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 crying. I had a couple of phone calls with a couple of people. I went in the following day, eight o'clock the following day, which um, obviously McLaren and Simo and Steely had, had asked us to report for 10 o'clock start. I went in at eight. Um, the, the staff was having the breakfast. I went straight over to Steve McLaren and I said, um, I apologise for last night. Total out of character of myself. Um, but if you want to get rid of me, Get, put me with a youth team, put me with the 23s or whatever I don't mind. I said, well, if you want to keep me around, I know no other than giving everything I've got. Following game, he left me out, leads at home. And then we went to Watford away. And then Zach Whitbread got injured and then, then I never looked back that season. Do you think you going to do that, to be a man and, and approach him like that, maybe saved your derby career? Or do you think you would have been out without doing that? To, to go and be man enough to say you were wrong? Maybe I was seen as maybe I could be a problem being Nigel's player. I followed him from Burton to Derby. I was I was yeah, I was in I was in a good good condition and good I was in like my prime at the time. So I was I was I was game. I was game for having anybody up at the time, playing wise or in the dressing room. So I probably could have been seen as as a problem. But after conversations with Nigel after the Ipswich game, it was the right thing to do, to apologise to to Darren and to Pat and to Stephen McLaren and his staff that I, I weren't quite at it, um, and that I'll never I'll never cause you a problem again. The the rest of that season, as a Derby fan approaching thirty, that's probably the best football I've seen a Derby County side play. Um, should that should that side have gone up? Well, we didn't, did we? So well, it's yeah. all right. we weren't quite good enough at Wembley. It's easy to talk about how good we were. Ultimately, Burnley weren't as good as us, but they got promoted um, automatic. And then obviously, we got to the final. QPR weren't as good as us, but they beat us. So you could play as all as much good football as, as we did. Ultimately, we didn't win the final. So, um, but unbelievable memories. Learned a lot. Played some great football. Um, and yeah, fully enjoyed it. We've got to talk about Wembley, unfortunately. I have done with everyone who's played there. Uh, this is my perspective. You might have a different outlook as a footballer. We were fucking robbed. I think absolutely robbed that day. Was it? Was it tough to take? Uh, it was a very very weird day. Uh, we, we we stayed at a hotel. I get pulled the day of the final. I think by by McLaren at the time. I'm thinking of making a. A call. It was like I know what's coming here. You're thinking of playing Husey and leaving Bryson out at the time, and yeah, it, it was it was a tough decision because Will had been so good in the previous previous home game against Brighton. It was a big call. If he'd have played Bryson, not Will at the time, it, yeah, it, it, it was a tough call for for McLaren. But I always remember that conversation with him after after breakfast. Then we got to the stadium. Went down to the pitch. Weird noise. It's a weird noise. That many people in in a stadium. It's a it's a, it's a deafening just a noise. There's no there's no like actual words. It's just like a muffle of a noise when you were there. So there was that. There was singing the national anthem, which was unbelievable. Uh, bearing in mind, I'd not 
not had the opportunity to play for my country, uh, to stand there in front of my, my family and the supporters to, and to sing the national anthem was an amazing feeling. And then the game kicked off. It was, yeah, it was weird with a downpour of rain. The pitch was, pitch went as good as we expected it to be. But then we obviously dominated with the ball. We have, we got, obviously QPR got out to 10 men. Johnny Russell has a couple of opportunities where we just go and close, come through. Yeah, we did start. I think I can always remember the bench. We we st- the, we the team started to prepare for both clubs preparing for extra time, and then obviously what happened happened. And yeah, gut wrenching. And at the time, we didn't think it was going to happen because the way we were playing, we were both resilient without the ball, and also we dominated with the ball. He just didn't think it was going to happen, um, and that's why it was probably his bigger kick in the the teeth than than the the many the timing of it. So yeah. It's it's a cliche, but if you can guarantee it, it's the best way to go up. And if you lose, it's the worst way in it to to lose. Mm. It was it was definitely silent in the dressing room after. It was silent. No words could like put into perspective what had gone off um, at the time. And you try I tried to galvanise the group in the dressing room as I as I had done a lot that season. But yeah. Players were numb to the fact that what had happened, it was it was gut wrenching, and that was it. We spoke about winning the league there and then. We said, "Come on, let's let's win the league next season. We're good enough. We believe in each other. Add a few additions and and try and try and get promotion." Um, and we was on course for that, um, and then things changed. What do you think changed, in your opinion? We we found ourselves having a, a tough period. We I think went to Rotherham away, and we had a tough period. Um, of games and maybe the, the the fact that we we were getting a little bit fatigued and we had to make changes in personnel in players and at the time um, we we were gelled and bonded quite well that group um, and it probably quite wasn't quite the same when we made the changes of personnel and yeah we we, we started to to slip away from the top of the league um, we played I don't know if it was Leeds or Sheffield Wednesday at home and we were top the following week I found myself out of the team and that was that was hard to take that hurt, hurt me the most at the time and then I never that was me I never played again I was going to say how how did obviously you've had an amazing time at Derby been given that opportunity in the championship you've taken it become a fan favourite was it difficult to leave and, and how did leaving come about and, and you going to Wigan I never wanted to leave. I had honest conversations with the managers after Steve McLaren went um, to Newcastle. Paul Clement came in. I had a conversation with Paul um, and Sam Rush of where, where I stood. And it was, no, you, you've got two years left on your contract. We want you a bar. Didn't feature. I had an opportunity to go out on loan to Wolves. And it was Kenny Jackett at the time who was manager. Both parties decided against it at the time, Derby and, and myself. And we made the decision that if I didn't play between now and the end of the season, or if I didn't play significant amount of time, I'd be coming into my last year of my contract. And it, it would be one where we'd probably have to move move on. Derby made another change. Darren Russell got older, older of the club. Um, and we had a late push and got into the playoffs and went to Hull. And I got I got back involved and I enjoyed it, um, and and Darren did really well with Pat. And then the club decided to go down a different route and uh, employed Nigel Pearson, 
And I respect Nigel Pearson massively because he had me in over the summer. He said, um, come to Portugal with us on a pre-season tour and I'll let you know after the pre-season. I went to pre I went to Portugal, we played Benfica, uh, we got popped off the park and I had a conversation with him after and he said I could go. So I'll always be respectful for Nigel Pearson because at times players want honesty um, and he was honest, he was very honest with me. And I, I weren't done, I weren't, I had a lot to give and I wasn't that type of player to sit there and pick up my money. I was I was terrible at home on a Saturday afternoon if I weren't I weren't involved. I needed to that that release to play and uh, be a lead in the dressing room and, and go out there and and yeah, head a few balls and smash a few backs of people's heads. <laughs> yeah, I think the sixth or seventh player of, of that two thousand and fourteen squad that's come on the podcast and I've had a few messages today from a few of the boys to for stuff to mention to you. Uh if you if there's stuff that's like you can't talk about, we'll just edit it out. But Wardy texted me straight away. Jamie Warden just uh, asked me to ask you about the banana boat in Marbella. Uh, yeah, so we we went away. Uh, Nigel obviously used to he the team bonding stuff. What we did with Nigel as a manager was part and parcel of his his regime and how he believed bringing the players together and having a drink and a trip and doing some training, having a drink whilst you're away was, was a massive part of Nigel's core and brought us together. And we used to have a few trips each season um, and we used to go to Benavise, a training camp with a lovely pitch, beautiful positioning. Uh, the hotel was in the pitch and lovely part of, part of Spain. Um, and then we used to have a few, few scoops few beers um, after training and then, yeah, we, we find ourselves on the beach and um, on the back of a banana boat is a group of lads uh, with a life jacket on, unconscious, under the water at the time. Wow. Um, yeah, he did say, and he said he might not be able to talk about it, but I think, knowing Wardy's character, I think he's tried to stitch me up there more than anything. Yeah. Now, he, the, the main thing from it, which which is massive and I took it into management as well Is I rang Nigel up and Gary Crosby was, was with us on the trip and uh, I went to see Gaz and I said, Gaz, I've messed up, mate. I've, I've come off the banana boat. I've smashed all me, broke my eye socket and my cheekbone and my nose. I messed up, mate. Yeah, I'll take whatever fine comes my way. He says, well, you best bring the gaffer. I ain't. So I rang Nigel up and uh, I says, We've had a, I've had an accident, Nigel. And he says, uh, what's happened? So I told him. He says, Bucko, was you all together? And I says, yes, Gaffer. He says, I've got no problem because you're all together. And I thought, well, he, he, as long as we were at it together, all stuck together in the trenches, he was happy with that. That's brilliant. That's another great side of the man management of Nigel Clough, isn't it? That he the situation when he could have hung you out to dry a little bit, couldn't he? He's the man management side. Yeah, unbelievable man management, unbelievable in knowing what to say to make you tick um, as a person. It worked with me. I knew straight away when I met him and he asked me about my wife and and then as I got older, he, he remembered dates and timings of kids' birthdays and stuff like that. 
he went out his way to, to to have conversations about your family, and that meant a lot to me as a person. Uh, I've got a, a question here from uh, Craig Bryson, um, who says, asking why he always dressed like he was on the set of Emmerdale. <laughs> Clothes were terrible as well. He used to wear his missus's jeans, right? Did uh, <laughs> his jeans were that skinny? It was unbelievable. He's always Bryson. He's he always the first no, one. Was, he's always the first one to have a pop at everyone else, isn't he? He's dour, Bryce always. Dower as anything. Um, Top lad. Top lad. Angry man, though. Angry man, Bryce. Uh, yeah, he seems very angry at the world. He seems like he's always got someone to, to say to everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, angry. Angry at everything. Will Hughes, Yozza, just put, tell him he's a ledge. So he's not got any banter. He's not going to banter anyway, has he? Hughes, Hughes, he was a good one because he was such a talented, such a young lad. I love Hughes to bits. Love him to bits and uh, top player. Love love Derby County. Love being around the place. And he listened. The main thing about him being a young pro and coming onto the scene, he listened to John Eustace. He listened to myself. He knew areas of the way he was weak and he needed to improve on. But as a lad, yeah, top top kid, Will was. Along with Jeff Hendrick. And when we had to rein him in and... Uh, Time to pipe down and told to do what we wanted them to do. It meant that they got a good career and they listened to what we wanted them to do. Any regrets uh, looking back at your, your playing career? Anything you would have changed? Um, I should have come back. I had the opportunity to come back on the guy hour. I probably should have come back, but I, I, I was going to come back to not play again. I was going to come back and be fourth choice at 32 and be around the group um, and be limited to game time. Um, so, yeah, Gaz offered us a contract to come back, along with Mel Morris at the time, but I chose playing and chose Nigel Clough at Burton Albion. I felt like I was indebted to Nigel, the fact that he'd given me the opportunity, and that's why I rejoined Burton Albion to, to play for Nigel again. But looking back, maybe financially it would have been better to, to, to join Derby at the time, um, I don't regret going to Burma because I want to have this opportunity I've had. Um, but at the time, it was a tough decision to make. It was a, it was a tough, tough decision. How how do you sum up your time at Derby County, if you can? I loved every minute of it from the start to the end. Yeah, I had some amazing times. Amazing times, met some amazing people. The, the staff are amazing. The people who work within the training ground or at the stadium... I really had an unbelievable bond with people. You, if you're there over five years with people, from ground staff to kitman to cleaners to commercial commercial office staff, um, I, I had a bond of of trying to be right with people and and integrate and ask people how they were feeling around the football club, which I believe were right with people. So I, I made some friends along the way, not just players. But people who uh, who just worked at the club. What's next for Jake Buxton? Um, well, I've had a, I've had a period of time where I've obviously left my job at Burton, and I've, I've been back at the club. In all fairness, at Derby, working with well, being in and showing my face within the academy, doing some doing a bit of coaching, but just keeping my toe in, being around it. 
and then we'll see what happens off the back of that. Like I said before, and I loved every minute of managing at Burton. I do believe I'll have another crack at it, wherever it'll be, whatever level. I love leading men. I loved every minute of it. I love playing, being a captain and leading. And I, I still want to do that as a as, as who I am today. So at some point, I should imagine I'll have another crack at it. But this moment in time, I'm fully enjoying myself back in Derby's academy. At the end of every of every podcast, we get it's called Pass the Mic. Lee Carsley started it off, so we get whoever's on to recommend someone from, who played for Derby with him that you might be able to get us in touch with. Someone you think would be good on who do you who do you think would be good on to come on? When I was um, playing, and it was a period of when we had Paul Dickoff and people like that, but Shefki Kuchi was uh, was un- was unbelievable as a as a bloke. Obviously, Finnish international. But yeah, he was a, he was a scream, cracking lad, and a great banter. He he used to dive bomb in the ice bath and everything. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll get you, I'll get you over to Shefki and see if he'll be interested in getting involved. That that first couple of years, the the uh, characters what we had was was unbelievable. If you'd have given me a hundred guesses at the player that you were going to name to recommend, I wouldn't have got Shefki Kuchi at all. But I'll take it, mate. That's incredible. It's a blast from the past, Blake, isn't it? That one. <laughs> George Thorne, I don't know if you've seen this, He's um, he wants to do a bit of a reunion on the podcast. He said that he wants to get a few of the 13, 14 boys, uh, 2013, 14 boys on to celebrate the anniversary and get a few on at the same time. So if you're up for that, we'll get you back on in a, in a couple of months. Yeah, man, that'd be great. There <laughs> um, so were some good lads in that squad um, and some good stories. So that'd be a good crack. Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. I really appreciate your time. Um, good luck with everything going forward. I'm sure one day you'll be back in management. Um, maybe get me in as your PR man or your media bloke or something. Get me, get me on the payroll, but I really appreciate your time. Cheers, Blake. Thank you for asking me. Say, so what did you say then? Up the Rams? Yeah. It broke up for that bit. Did Joe just went, up the Rams? <laughs> Did it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, up the rams, mate. Up the rams, nice one. <laughs>